But we're seeing, you know, advertisers are really tuning in to or realizing the opportunity that getting closer to the supply that they're actually buying can have in maximizing the potential of their campaigns. It's actually quite a pivotal time for DSPs at the moment. They've sort of built out their functionality and then they've been really heavily impacted by regulation. And now they're almost trying to reverse engineer a lot of their previous functionality in a privacy compliant way. I think that's probably from prevented brands from um, jumping full full on into uh, selecting a clean room and then and then going the full hog um, and integrating it into their advertising processes. Hello and welcome to the AdPod. Today we're going to be talking about the future of ad tech with the team at TPA Digital. Now, if you put two and two together, you will see that TPA Digital is a company that I founded back in 2016 and Dan, Danny and James are part of that team. We want to do this episode as a team because there is so much change happening with ad tech and we recently released three white papers on the changes within TSPs, SSPs and clean rooms. And to bring that to life, we want to have a conversation about it. This episode, you'll hear, I keep using the word interesting. It might be a record number of interesting in one episode, but that is because maybe quite tragically, I find ad tech interesting. It fascinates me, the dynamics between the buy and the sell side, advertisers and agencies, you know, how ad tech sits in the middle of it all um, and all of the change. I mean, that's what keeps my job interesting at least. Anyway, enough of me. I really hope you enjoy this episode of The App Pod. Hi team, welcome to The App Pod. Great to have you all here. Um, before we get into it, if our listeners don't know that much about you, would you mind giving a quick intro to your background and what you do now? Uh, Dan, why don't you start? Thank you, Wayne. As you know, I've got two small kids. Uh, so I don't get a lot of time to listen to podcasts and this is pretty much the only one that I do listen to Um, so it's very exciting to be here uh, and to be a guest Um, I feel like this is the equivalent of Danny or James being invited onto the off-menu podcast Um, I mean that's a that's the sort of competition we have now with the iPod you know off-menu diver CEO whatever it is we're competing Definitely up there, I think. Um, but yes, uh, I'm Dan. Um, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at TPA. Um, I've got 15 years experience in digital uh, across various different roles in programmatic, uh, mostly agency and technology side. Awesome. Um, Danny, do you mind introducing yourself? So um, I'm Danny, and I am a senior client partner at TPA. Um, I've been with TPA for I think almost four years now so my role here is to essentially deliver on a lot of the different client projects that we have um, and maintain some of our larger client relationships so prior to joining TPA my background was very much in um, activation so I was head of trading for an independent trading desk and where I worked across many markets. Awesome and James. Yes also long time listener of the pod uh, so happy to be here. I'm Jay Steber. I'm a managing partner at TPA. Um, so I've been with TPA for the last six years and working in programmatic for the last 10 years, which always seems to shock me. Um, prior to TPA, I was at um, a network agency group. So uh spent a few years with iProspect um, and Zaxis prior to that within their, their programmatic division. 
So let's start with DSPs. Uh, Danny, if somebody said to you to describe what a DSP did, let's say three years ago, what would you have said? So I would have said that a DSP is a piece of technology that automates the buying of digital ad inventory, which is still very much true today. Um, but three years ago, I'd probably have called out a bit more that DSP targets users very much on a hyper-targeted one-to-one level, super granular targeting and tracking capabilities, and being able to put the right ad in front of the right user in the right place and essentially continuing to be able to report on all of that and optimize towards it really accurately in real time. But of course, we know that a lot of those um, granular tracking and targeting functionalities hinge on third party cookie based methods. So I think it was about three years ago now that Google announced the depreciation of the third party cookie on Chrome, um, which was obviously a bit of a turning point for tech seeing as any changes there are going to have quite a knock on impact. So. Since then, DSPs have really had to adapt and change a lot in terms of their tracking and targeting. So shifting to a lot of alternative methods like um, a focus on first party data, probabilistic modeling um, and contextual targeting to be able to reach audiences in as much of an effective way. So comparatively, I think three years ago, a DSP's focus was um, data and maximizing optimization and being super granular. Whereas today, if we look on, if we look forwards a bit more, it's um, a lot of those priorities have changed based on the limitations that are faced um, when the cookie's being depreciated. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, from what I see from meeting with DSPs, they go through this constant change really, and especially in recent times, given what you just said. So I guess if we sort of look forward, how would you describe a DSP, let's say three years in future? Like what do you think would be the biggest changes from what exists today? So I think it's actually quite a pivotal time for DSPs at the moment. Um, they've sort of built out their functionality and then they've been really heavily impacted by regulation. And now they're almost trying to reverse engineer a lot of their previous functionality in a privacy compliant way. So I think three years from now, um, DSPs could actually end up looking quite different from one another with a lot of varying focuses based on how they're like currently tackling that challenge. So one scenario and i don't think this would be the case for all dsps but just broadly speaking in three years time we might be describing dsps as more of a a centralized buying platform so potential for them to really lean into the management and the consolidation of wider digital media rather than leaning into their original niche we might generally see a shift take place where they move away from a focus on bidding and more towards general automation of um, digital media. So towards more of a marketplace functionality. Um, and with that, we might see a lot more API based buying through those platforms as well. So on top of that, I'd imagine with that stance, they'll continue to embrace um, any new channels that pop up. So we might see more AR and VR through these platforms as well. And so Generally, I think three years from now, one noticeable change will be that the shift of the buying platform from being an algorithmic focus and optimizational focus towards it being generally more of a centralized buying platform and like a one stop shop for broader digital media. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's just quite an exciting time how you know, demand side platforms used to be sort of the a tool which sat with the programmatic traders and you had to be some sort of like, you know, trading expert to use them. But as they become so more widely adopted within wider media, you'll see more people using them uh, in different ways. I think that's quite an exciting time for DSPs. 
And, you know, the, the DSP market has kind of consolidated to some extent. Like, let's be honest, the Trade Desk and DV360 have a great share. Um, but there's tons of others out there who can also add value. How do you think DSPs differentiate, will, will differentiate in the coming years? Like, how do they sort of stand out for one another? So, as you say, I think you'll get some of them obviously leaning into their own ecosystems, so utilising their own data, buying across their own um, owned and operated inventory, so like Amazon, like Google, for example. So I guess their data and their inventory is going to be their differentiator. Um, and obviously the reasons that marketers will have to engage with them directly. You could get some DSPs leaning into that connected platform approach that um, I just spoke about. So they'd be differentiated, I guess, with their varying access to different channels and maybe broader reporting and planning capabilities, for example. And then I think the other big differentiator that we might see is sustainability. So obviously it's a big talking point in the industry at the moment. And so we might see some DSPs really starting to embrace this and use it to their advantage in some ways. So we know that the redirection of budgets um, through the supply chain can cause uh, emissions both directly and indirectly. So any efficiencies and any inefficiencies in that supply chain um, can increase the carbon footprint. So DSPs might use that as the differentiator and take a stance on it. So for example, leaning into more publisher direct integrations to reduce the amounts of uh, redirects in the process. So yeah, a couple of different avenues that we might see. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what does happen. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot at stake for the DSPs, a lot of money goes through those platforms. Some of them are publicly listed, some of them are private. Uh, definitely an interesting time. I think the, the next area we'll cover is SSPs. And James, I'll go to you for this one. So, you know, when we think about what we do at TPA, everyone sees us as being a consultancy for advertisers. Um, but now we're seeing like brands in particular uh, and agencies leaning into working with SSPs. Um, why do you think why is it important for a buyer to understand the role and functions of an SSP? Yeah, I mean, if you think of it from a top line level, you know, it's important because SSPs ultimately have a critical role in facilitating that access to supply for advertisers or for agencies. And ultimately, that's what all advertisers need, right? They need supply. So that's at the top line level. That's why it's important. Um, but to go into it a little bit more detail, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and understand how the SSP landscape evolved in order to really appreciate why now in particular, I think we're seeing advertisers and agencies lean into relationships with, with SSPs. So if you think back before the introduction of header bidding, publishers would rank SSPs in terms of priority within their ad server and they'd uh, set the order in the ad server and that would dictate which SSPs got the opportunity to actually monetize that impression. So first SSP, then the second, and then the third, and they'd be called in a, in a waterfall fashion. And now with the advent of header bidding, you know, that meant that publishers could allow numerous SSPs the opportunity to sell an individual impression at the same time. So, you know, what that was serving to do for publishers was to maximize their fill and yield, i.e help them to make more money. Um, but it also had this kind of knock-on effect where it changed the dynamic for advertisers. So no longer do advertisers need to target all SSPs for fear of missing out on impressions. So when you had that waterfall approach, if 
you weren't targeting an SSP who sat in priority one for a particular publisher, you know, you may never get the opportunity to buy that impression. Now that all SSPs are being called at the same time, there's less of a need to target so many impressions because you're unlikely to, to miss out on that impression because most of the big SSPs are going to be called uh, for, for each impression across, across all publishers. Um, so now, you know, that allows advertisers to be more strategic about how they work with SSPs, right? So they can understand the different ways in which they could access inventory across key publishers. They can start to think about negotiating take rates with SSPs to create, you know, financial competitive advantage. They could implement deals with particular SSPs, overlay publisher data within their targeting, um, as well as kind of understanding the directness of different supply paths. And that's something that historically either wasn't being done or was always, you know, really difficult to do as well. And, and that's all different avenues that have kind of opened up uh, off the back of that. And I think it probably all sounds quite complex and don't get me wrong, the supply landscape uh, can be complex and is certainly vast, um, but we're seeing, you know, advertisers are really tuning in to um, or realizing the opportunity that getting closer to the supply that they're actually buying can have in maximizing the potential of their campaigns. Yeah, I think it's so interesting from when I started in programmatic, SSPs were just something you tick a box and an add in the DSP, you just run across 50 plus of them, who cares? Whereas now the, the market's caught on that that's not an efficient way to do it. Um, and, and for a bunch of reasons you sort of outlined. Um, so let's just say the SSP is now evolving from dumb pipe to you know, trying to differentiate. Um, what do you think would be like the three biggest changes that we'll see from the SSPs in, in like the coming years? Yeah, I mean, it's probably like the most interesting time since their inception um, in terms of the relationship between uh, DSPs and SSPs. So it was seeing DSPs encroaching on the role of the SSPs in the form of open path from the trade desk. Um, that allows buyers to connect directly to publishers via the DSP, removing the need for an SSP. On the SSP side, we're seeing um, you know, Magnite announcing Clearline, Pubmatic announcing Activate, um, all in the last couple of weeks or months, um, which allows then advertisers to access inventory via their platforms, removing the need for a DSP. So we're seeing this little bit of kind of tit for tat. Um, uh, between those those players but I think where it's interesting for for SSPs um is to think about you know will they actually be able to, to take away some control from the DSPs you know we've seen uh we've seen people try to serve both sides of the market over the years um and you know inherent conflicts of interest have often kind of scuppered success in that area kind of two notable outliers, which would be Google and Amazon. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how that bit plays out. But I think purely from a kind of technological and strategical changes that we might see uh, SSPs make, I think there's, there's probably three things we can outline. So uh, the first would be around curation and data. So, you know, to some of Danny's points, as advertisers kind of increasingly move spend away from the open market in the context of the deprecation of third-party cookies, the ability to actually um, curate packages of inventory 
with a strategic application of data, be that publisher data or um, you know, connecting advertiser first party data. Um, there's a lot of value there. Um, so I think we'll see SSPs innovate in that area. Second would be supply quality. So again, when we think about advertisers reducing the number of SSPs, um, something else they're looking at is the directness of supply. Um, so they want more direct routes um, to supply. And that comes down to kind of quality, transparency and sustainability reasons. Um, so SSPs will need to think about how they can prioritize direct integrations with their publishers. So removing inefficient hops, which again, to, to Danny's point, you know, removes that um, the, the, the unnecessary carbon emissions which come about from having increased hops in a supply chain. And I think uh, as advertisers kind of reduce the number of SSPs that they're working with based on those pillars of supply quality, we'll start to see publishers prioritize the SSPs who are bringing the demand. So those, those SSPs are attracting more advertiser spend because they're meeting those quality areas. Um, the publishers will prioritize them and that might lead to further consolidation in the SSP market, some of which we've seen kind of happening this year already. And then the third and final point I would say is around identity resolution. So as cookies, you know, continue to diminish and once Chrome comes into effect, um, we'll really shift the dial even further. I think resolving identity, um, as well as other kind of technological developments for targeting. So things like seller-defined audiences, um, Fledge, which is now renamed to Protected Audience API. I think those will be critical for publishers to um, maintain their CPM levels and their overall revenue. So from a yield perspective for publishers, these are really important areas. So I think SSPs have an opportunity to be their partner and really support publishers in kind of testing and deploying uh, different identity solutions that are available for them. Um, and then finally, beyond that, you might see kind of SSPs start to look at creating their own identifier device graphs so that they can ensure that whichever identifier may be being used um, by a, a publisher or an advertiser, they can actually monetize against it for their publishers and therefore help them again from a, a, a yield and revenue perspective. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, sometimes I hear from the industry that SSPs are commoditized. But if you just think about those three buckets you said around curation, quality and identity, those things are changing aggressively and right now. So there are huge opportunities for SSPs to differentiate and, and therefore huge opportunities for buyers to and publishers to create competitive advantage by working with the right ones who are going in the right direction. So um yeah definitely interesting times thanks for that james the next area we'll cover is data clean rooms a reasonably new area depends who you listen to but it'd be good to understand dan i guess we'll go to you like why does a data clean room exist what do they do yeah so definitely i think because it's fairly new i think it's probably to, to understand why they exist it's definitely uh worth explaining what they do um in the simplest form uh, they allow for a privacy-proof way of sharing data between two entities um, without the need for a universal identifier and without the need for the data to leave where it exists. So and that's the key reason why they're why very popular now. Because as we know, <clears throat> well-trodden path of uh, technical and legal changes within, within ad tech 
um, that's definitely making it harder for people to share data between two entities. So um, that's definitely um, you know why they exist at the moment. Um, but I think also to talk about why they exist is to talk a little bit about where they've come from. And actually, I think when we were when I was investigating this piece, what was really interesting about the different clean room providers that are out there is that they all come from very different backgrounds. Um, and so, for example, one of them comes uh, specific, kind of comes from the farmer industry, um, and it sort of makes sense when you start to think about it. But in the farmer industry, you've got uh, people that are trying to develop drugs based on uh, you know th- things like you know uh, drugs which help with with cancer and other things and diseases which are quite common across different countries. And you can imagine with farmer and, and getting access to that data. All that data, which allows you to then make um, like a, a drug which will work for the most amount of people, is in very, very separate places and can, lots of different entities, um, lots of different organizations across the world will have access to the data. So essentially what this company did is use data clean rooms to try and aggregate all that data which lived in very siloed places, bring it together um, it, and work on a sort of centralized basis um using that using using the data to then analyze it and and, it, and more importantly it used and now the analysis moved to where the data lived as opposed for that data to have to be shared so what they've realized is that there's a really big use case here for advertising because that's exactly where we've got to within advertising is that we've got lots of siloed disparate data sets which are sort of now need connecting um, and the need for a sort of centralized algorithm or centralized um, analytics to then uh, work to understand, um, you know, the, the, the various things that that need to be done um, to make advertising better using those disparate data sets. So I found that really fascinating. And then, and then, and then the other one, which is the probably more um, well-known case, is the uh, where Infosum came from. It came from uh, Facebook originally. Um, so that came from where people that were using uh, advertisers or um organizations that were using facebook wanted the data wanted the data um on the users and the people that subscribe to their channels um but so facebook essentially wanted to invent a way that they could they could give data away without it having to actually leave their ecosystem so it's been really interesting sort of understanding the origins of, the, of these different companies as we've investigated them um and it what it means is that they're all bringing quite different use cases and they're all bringing slightly different ways of thinking about the same problem um and and that's been really interesting because they solve things in slightly different ways and they're coming at it from different angles and they obviously have very different degrees of expertise with and integrations within the ecosystem already yeah i mean i find the origins fascinating as well i remember meeting some of the early data clean rooms and like i must be you know pitch number three or something and they're talking around the opportunities beyond advertising. I remember chatting to one of them around the NHS in the UK, the health service, mm-hmm. around how data from patients and doctors can be shared without having to send it over emails and send over you know a bunch of like um, PII data. So where they've come from, what they serve for, I think is really interesting. I definitely agree with you that they all do different things. So you don't just pick a clean room; you pick a partner who is a clean room. Um, I think that so I find that that particularly interesting. And then, so let's just say we've got to we're sort of moving into version two of the clean room now. Almost like the use case is kind of established. Like some of the players are a bit more bigger than others. How do you see clean rooms evolving in, in the coming years? Like what's next? 
Yeah, it's definitely evolving and it's definitely getting easier. Um, so, yeah, when I was agency side, I was uh, one of the earlier adopters as well. Um, and it was definitely first through the gate, got the bloody nose type scenario with us because um, the setup was quite difficult. The different data providers we were trying to use to connect together didn't really understand the process. Um, and actually, it took quite a long time to get to where we wanted to get to. Um, yeah, I think fast forward to today, um, I guess it's that was almost four or five years ago. So I think we've had, um, although it's fairly new, I think people within ad tech and within advertising are a little bit more comfortable uh, with the technology. Um, and definitely there are much more uh, use cases around how more efficient the processes are. Um, but I, I think I think that's still, um, you know, so I, I think the the areas where uh, there's going to be some focus is in the setup. So I think brands specifically have found it very hard to get their data integrated with Clean Room Solutions um, to, uh, at the beginning. And I think that's probably from, prevented brands from um, jumping full full on into uh, selecting a clean room and then and then going the full hog um, and integrating it into their advertising processes. Um, I think there's also been some issues with sort of quite static use cases so you know almost like the, the there's been a problem identified and then they've uh, a clean room has solved for that very specific problem but what that's meant is that when you go through that quite laborious place process of putting your data into a clean room um you then find you've got quite fixed use cases to only deal with and i think the more sophisticated clean rooms that we're speaking to they have much more um sophisticated and i guess customizable use cases so they they open they 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 allow they allow a little bit more creativity in saying well I've got this data maybe I can add this data and we can um, we can create a new concept or a new way of thinking about targeting or measurement and I think that's definitely been a lot more interesting and I think you know following on from that I think the service layer that you need in order to uh, make these these te- this technology work. Um, is increasing as well. So as the knowledge increases and people understand a little bit more about them, I think um, it's it's much easier to find people that can then help with very specific use cases when it gets a little bit technical in terms of a new integration or doing something like measurement where you need to use fairly you know complex queries um, and NMM models, for example. Um, you know, it's you're not sort of starting from scratch. And there are people that have tried and tested and therefore some of the processes are becoming reusable as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I just think the point you make around initially cleaning to just try to solve a problem and it might be match rates or first party data or something. But then when you think about conceptually how that expands out and how you can use it across more and more of the sort of ad tech stack or advertising operations, um, it can obviously play a pivotal role. So um, kind of here for the clean rooms. Let's see what happens in the next few years with them. So finally, you know, the ad pod this season has been centered around uh, transformation. Uh, we've had people on talking around the media pitch, the trade press, um, ad fraud. I'd like to ask each of you, you know, ad tech transformation. Like, what do you see as being the next big thing that will change in 12 to 18 months? Uh, and that doesn't have to be focused on DSPs, SSP or, or clean rooms. Danny, why don't you go first? So I don't have anything super specific in mind, but in some way, shape or form, it has to be the use of AI. So I think over the next 12 to 18 months, um, it's going to be really interesting to see which of the applications that we're starting to see getting rolled out now in ad tech. So 
whether they're those really small time-saving based additions or recommendations in a UI or if they're an entirely new AI based feature or product and um, so it will be really interesting to see um, which of those are actually additive to workflows and ultimately end up enhancing marketing performance um, so I think some of the biggest transformation we see could be as a result of some of those. Awesome um, how about you Dan? Yeah I mean I guess it's loosely linked to the AI piece but um, I mean I think that uh, there's going to be a lot of movement around creative specifically within ad tech and, cre you know, cre cre tech and um, technology companies, which are there to specifically focus on creative. And I know you can't really move at the moment on LinkedIn for some sort of creative AI piece. And, you know, my, my brother's a, a graphics designer uh, and he's terrified for his job uh, at the moment uh, with, with all the releases that are coming, but, but I don't, I don't specifically mean those companies or like those specific examples that you see quite a lot on LinkedIn in terms of sort of automating, you know, where the way a dog's looking or, um, you know, making things a little bit easier. But I, I think the reason I think the creative technology is a little bit um, unexplored, I guess, is because I, I do think we're sort of reaching a point where we've saturated sort of media and measurement. Um, and I think that has actually maybe saturation is the wrong word, but we've definitely got to a point where I think it's um, potentially standardised um, because of where we've got to with with the legal with the legal piece and the technology pieces that have happened. So I do think that creative, I think for because of programmatic and because of the ability to be able to do you know uber uber targeting on the audience and measurement, um, there has potentially been a lack of focus on the creative side, and I think that does remain. A, a, a place where I think if an advertiser, digital advertisers can focus more effort on, they're, they potentially will see much more efficiency in it, in it, um, based on time spent because you can spend so much time on measurement and, and targeting the audience piece. Um, you know, but you could potentially, there could be a breaking change to what you try and fix, you know, the week after you spent all that time. Whereas I think, so I, so I think that would be the reason why we see a little bit more investment in the creative technology side. But again, not just from let's make more creatives and let's make them more usable, but you know, we're seeing way more companies coming out which are testing creative concepts um, before they go live. Um, lots more companies which are focusing on um, standardization, but also platform um platform excellence as well but using ai to just sort of score and measure creators but in a very fast way and you know these aren't small companies that have just come out of the ai revolution um which are sort of looking for their first seed you know these are quite large corporations which have been around for a while but i think are starting to move into digital um and i think that's what's that's going to be a really interesting space i think to, to keep an eye on awesome thanks dan and james what about you what do you think is going to be a, a big asset transformation in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've obviously touched on, you know, some of the changes to the core pieces of ad tech, and we could probably talk at length about how AI is going to be pivotal in the future, whether that's for activation, measurement, creative. You know, we're already seeing Google making lots of changes um across the google marketing platform in terms of how they're integrating ai and, and utilizing that so you know there's going to be lots happening there but i think for me i think there's there's this higher level what we're kind of seeing is businesses um, beginning to look at ad tech within their wider digital transformation so 
really trying to understand how does ad tech fit with their different parts of their businesses technology stack where can they integrate where can they be more efficient um and i think that's a really critical change um something we've not historically seen it's tended to sit very separately uh, but we're seeing it kind of have or gain more of a seat at the table um and that means it continues to grow in importance for, for businesses and you know there's definitely a long way to go on that front but i think the more that we see that trend happening the more you sh should expect uh, the growth of ad tech to accelerate and then the more that that happens the more that that drives innovation and, and transformation so it's probably this kind of knock-on effect but i think there's you know definitely this um appreciation for, for for ad tech and how important it is to businesses and i think that will actually impact on uh the transformation that we see a little bit further down the line definitely definitely agree with you on that one um yeah when i when i did the podcast series this year and gave it like a um kind of a topic of ad of, of transformation the term transformation has been used so much you know you, you google it you get a million plus results but actually like what we've gone through today across you know dsps ssps clean rooms you know ai creative the integration of sort of martech and ad tech and businesses there really is so much change and if companies whether that's a publisher ad tech company advertiser agency don't lean into it they're going to really miss opportunities and fall behind and so, you know, it's great to discuss all of those topics today with you all. And yeah, thanks for coming on to the AdPods. And uh, yeah, we'll chat to you soon.